38 months ago, to the day actually, my eldest daughter uh, was born. Katie and I received our newborn, our firstborn child, Isabella. And at the time, she seemed so fragile. And I remember how we moved her with so much care. And uh, when I was pushing her from, from the nursery in her bassinet over to uh, the nursery, uh, well, from our room to the nursery for these tests, you know, they, they do like hearing tests and they do all sorts of tests there. And I was so careful not to jerk the cart and like looking out ahead, making sure no nurses were like running through the halls or something. And so careful about my surroundings because I thought she was so fragile, right? And um, we got a, a different car specifically uh, for safety in our growing family because prior to that, Katie had this um, red Mazda Miata, which is not good for a pregnant woman. Because, um, you know, as, as she is becoming more um, beautiful, um, it's not that easy to get down on that thing. It's like three inches from the floor. So we got this Honda and we left Kaiser there. And, and before you leave the hospital, though, they, they inspect your car. They 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 see that you have a car seat uh, before they release the baby, and they want to know that, that you have a car seat. So we had this car seat that this friend of ours generously gifted us, and it was designed for an infant. It was a, a newborn car seat, so we brought it in and put her in there. And we were even at that, I was so careful at how I moved her with that, even though it's, like, designed for her. And um, so we bought this, like, head pillow thing to keep her head snug there so that it wouldn't be, like, flopping around like, like that. So... It, Kept her snug there, kept her head in her place. And then as I was leaving the parking lot, I drove so cautiously, like never before. I never drive this cautiously. And um, I accelerated really slowly. I don't know how long it took me to get home. A long time. It usually doesn't take me that long. But, and I braked really slowly. And I remember staying on the slow lane of the freeway, driving like 55. And everybody's passing by me and giving me different signs. And... So we got home, we, we took her inside, and I sat down, I remember thinking, we're on our own now. And before, before that, you know, we had the whole hospital staff assisting us. We had midwives and nurses and doctors, and, and now we're totally on our own. And, um, I mean, this is a human life. A human life that Katie and I are now responsible for, and I could do something that can mess up this little life. Right? And this is a really important responsibility. And how can, how can we take on something of this magnitude? Like she and I, we, we've not trained for it. We, we didn't go to classes. We, we, you know, we didn't get licensed to be parents. And, you know, there are governing bodies that, that require people to study and take tests for their licenses for things less important than being a parent. So we're like, what in the world? We're parents now. We didn't go through anything. We didn't do anything. And I don't feel totally inadequate. I mean, I have held babies before and I had little cousins and things. But I also didn't feel totally prepared. And um, I don't think it was all bad because I think it drove us to something beyond ourselves. So this was and still is an area of my life that I still need to turn over to God because I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, but I've never had a four-year-old before. And I've never had a five-year-old, and I've never had a teenager, and I've never had a young adult, and I've never had a daughter that went to prom or whatever. So, two. And so, you know, all this is new. So i got to turn this over to God all the time. Not just the relationship between parents and children, but all relationships, really. Right? Relationship with my spouse, uh, with my friends, with my other family members. But since it's Mother's Day, uh, it'll have a slight bent towards a relationship between parents and children. And within relationships, can we all agree that we're all going to mess up? 
Is that, can we just all agree on that one? And if not, can you have a relationship with me? So, and, and we're going to mess up pretty badly if, if it all comes down to us bringing our own gifts and our own skills and our own wisdom and our own efforts and our own experiences. And we're more than likely going to have a lot of regrets in our relationship if it just is totally left to us. So Jesus lovingly comes to our aid and he offers us some help. He says, if you let me, if you let me be a part of your life, if you let me into your life, I'll show you how to make things right. I'll show you the things that are messed up, how to restore them. I'll show you how when you break things apart, how to reconcile that relationship. And I'll help you make things right. And I'll help you beyond what you can do for yourself. And I'll I'll do it whenever you're ready. Right? I'm not going to force my way into your life, but whenever you're ready, let me know and I'll be right there. So what all, all of this is about, really, is love. It's about love. And love is where, what we're going to be talking about this Mother's Day. And when someone asked Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus summed up the whole law and replied in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus offers to help you to love in all aspects of your life. Wherever you are, whatever you do, whomever you are with, whenever it is, Jesus will be there to guide you in his love. And Paul understood what love was was about. In Romans chapter 13, verse 8, he wrote, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Paul is kind of using a financial metaphor to talk about love here. He's instructing to let all the interactions of your life to be governed by love. Love is not something um, we're we're, we're inclined to keep tabs of, right? We don't really kind of try to keep track of love. Some of us are very good at keeping track of financial things in our life. Right? We balance our checkbook, we, we keep track of our investment portfolios, our retirement accounts, and, and other things that deal with our finances. And if we're not good at keeping track of this financial type stuff, we at least want to be. And we, and we work at, at trying to keep our heads above water. Maybe not most people, since most people are below water. But you want to be, right? And we're, we're not all diligent about keeping track of love, though, are we? Let's just stick with this financial metaphor and, and try to help us describe love. And it's not the perfect metaphor, but I think you're going to get the picture of it. When you go to an ATM, it's usually for two reasons, right? It's usually for a withdrawal or it's usually for a deposit. Usually for those things, usually in that order. You usually go for a withdrawal more than deposit. Now, how important is it that you know the difference between a withdrawal and a deposit? A little, a little, a lot, right? When you withdraw, you are taking away from the value of your account. Your, your account goes down as you withdraw. Let's equate a withdrawal as a violation of love. Okay? And it, it can be done in the form of flattery or charm or whatever, but it, it makes the other person feel good even though it's not sincere. And whatever it is, it's a violation of love. Now, when you make a deposit, you're adding value to the account. And when you make a deposit into someone's life, you are honoring love. And here it may or may not feel good. Right. Sometimes this doesn't feel good as it takes 
sacrifice or it costs something, but it's honoring love. And when you're, when you're at any, any ATM, you can also do a third thing, right? You can check your balance. Checking the balance, checking the balance of your account is a, a good thing to do. It's a wise thing to do. Now, say there is a discrepancy between you and your bank about how much is in your account. Who do you think would win? Your bank, right? Your bank. And all relationships have a running balance, whether it's big or small, positive or negative, good or bad, just like you have a balance in your banking accounts. So you have that with your relationships with God and with one another. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Paul is instructing us not to try to get more out of the relationship than we are putting in. Because if you do that, you're on a deficit. You'll be in debt. But if your deposit is more than your withdrawal, you'll have a higher balance, right? And really good things happen in relationships that have high balances. If your balance is high in a relationship, when there's a conflict, you'll probably be able to reconcile that conflict because the other party within that conflict is going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You have a high balance. With a high balance, you can confront someone when it's necessary and, and they'll likely trust you. And when, when, with the putting in more than you take, you can say things that are difficult to say to them because they believe those words to be true. Those dynamics aren't there if you run a deficit or if your balance is low in the relationship. You can't say those things. People don't give you the benefit of the doubt. People don't trust you. They don't believe that what you're telling them is true. They don't believe that you have their best interest in mind. So something that is good practice is to check the balance of your relationships. Check the relationship balance of those with your spouse, with your kids, your parents, particularly with mom today with friends, colleagues. And this is so easy for us to overlook because there isn't something like a bank statement that comes in every month reminding us of how we're doing in this part of our lives. We usually think things are, are fine with our relationships with, with others until something blows up or it's just too late. In our Taekwondo ministry, the, the very first verse the kids have to memorize, I should make them recite it. I have a couple of them back there. Ephesians 6.1, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And then soon after, they have to recite Ephesians 6, 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Now, what I've been contemplating on doing is handing a verse out to parents. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition in the Lord or of the Lord. See, a common misinterpretation of this verse is that it's only for fathers. It isn't. Some have interpreted that it's because probably because guys are, are naturally more grating or exasperating or irritating or bigger jerks. All those things are true. But that's not why. Paul directs this to fathers because in that time and in that culture, men are the ones who held the power. It was a patriarchal society and Paul knew how relationships worked for that time in that culture. He knew that people who have power in relationships will often be pretty clueless about what the balance is. And so you see how Jesus teaches in regards to relationships throughout the New Testament. Jesus consistently teaches that those who have the greatest power must be the greatest servants. 
Whenever power is exercised, love has to be greater than that power or else that power is going to cause harm. And this is why anytime we, we, we get closer to being like Jesus, he always leads us into service. He always leads us in, into giving, giving and, and service of, of our time, of our talents, of our treasures, of our touch. And whenever we take steps to mature in our faith, he doesn't lead us into positions of power. He leads us into positions of service to become a servant. Jesus himself was a servant, a powerful testimony as to how a servant was to be like. And when we don't know what the relationship balance is, that's when a relationship is in dangerous territory. You guys have probably all heard those stories when one spouse comes home and and they suddenly give up where one spouse says, I'm done. I can't take it anymore. I'm finished. I've had it. Right. I'm through. And the other spouse just has no clue. And the other spouse has no clue that things were that bad and they didn't see that coming. I I have a really good friend of mine um, who was visiting me last week. And one of his family members, one of his close family members, um, walked in and, and she told her husband that she was done. And how the husband had no clue. So I, I want us to do a, a, a group exercise for several minutes. Um, we have pens. Not that many. And if you have a writing utensil, can you break that out? So whether it's a pen or pencil or spray paint, I don't know, chalk, whatever. You can get spray paint at the local corner here. Um, and you have your bulletin, so you have a writing. Can you hand those out, Kylie? You can put your hands up if you need something to write with. Now, we all keep track of different parts of our life, right? Uh, one of the main things we keep, a track, keep track of is finances. But many times we don't keep track of relationships. So we're going to do some tracking now. We're going to do this all together. We're going to do some relationship tracking. Now, I want you to think about the most important relationships to you in your life. And think about uh, the, the pivotal relationships in your life. Write down the names or the initials or some sort of indicator or symbol for that person if they're sitting right next to you because you want to keep it confidential. So you like to your husband, you can put horns on them or something. Um, so your spouse, your kids, um, your parents, maybe your mom, since it's Mother's Day, some friends don't put like everybody, you know, just the really core relationships to you. Now, next to their name or initial, whatever you drew on a scale of zero to 100, write down what you think the other person would say your balance is in your relationship account. They're the bank. It's important what they think right now. OK, so what would they think? Not what you hope it to be, hope for it to be, or what it was in the past. Right now, what's the number? Okay, zero is the low end, hundreds the high end. Think about how much time you guys spend together. Think about where, whether or not there's joy in your relationship. Uh, think about how affection is expressed towards one another. Uh, do you have unresolved things going on in your relationship? Uh, do you have some sort of resentment that hasn't been dealt with? Just take a couple minutes to do that, or actually seconds, we're going to move forward. For some of you, this is not going to be an easy exercise. Some of you, it's fine. And uh, we are creating a relationship account statement. Okay?
Okay, so don't overanalyze this. Don't change your answers. It's like test taking. The first one's usually right, so just keep that one. Scale of 0 to 100. Now, take a look at those numbers. And some of you will be happy with those balances, and others will wonder what happened to their account. And, you know, you praise the Lord for those high ones and the deposits that have been made, but what about those lower ones? What do, what do we do about those unhealthy ones? I want to take just a minute to pray for you right now for those, okay? So let's pray together. You can pray with me. Jesus, I'm running a deficit in this relationship that I value. Um, I ask that you please be with me and that you would start pouring uh, into me so that I may pour more of myself into this relationship. I ask for your forgiveness if I've misrepresented Jesus to this person. Thank you for the hope of making things right. In Jesus' name, amen. And I want to encourage you guys to keep on praying if you see that there's a deficit running in those relationships that you've written down that are lower on that scale. Every interaction you have with another person is, is kind of a deposit or a withdrawal. But we, we can't think of it as a transaction. It's more of a transformation. And you can help in a positive transformation in your relationship with that person, or you can lead it into a more negative direction. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. See, there are no neutral interactions between people. In any encounter with people, young or old, it's not simply a transaction. We are never just exchanging information. Something is always going on spiritually. It involves transformation, whether it's a good one or a bad one. I'm, I'm always either honoring love or I'm violating love. The degrees of it may vary. Sometimes it might not even, you might not even notice it. But it's never neutral. And we all know this to be true. That's why there are people who you look forward to being with. And you'll do whatever you have to that's even inconvenient for yourself in order to be with them. But for those that you don't want to be with, you look for the smallest excuse not to be there. Right? You will look for any excuse. I have to do my hair tonight. Or whatever. And this goes on with relationships all the time. Let's explore what this looks like for a moment. When you make a transformative deposit into somebody's heart, into their spirit, into their soul, or when somebody does that for you, what does it look like? What, what kind of words, what kind of actions uh, does that involve? So I'm going to take some time just to write some of those down, and you can shout those positive things out to me, okay? So what things count as transformative types of deposits and relationships with other people? And you don't think transaction, you think transformation. I'll give you the first one, because this one's really important in my family. Time. Anything else? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I forgive you all for not speaking. You're just looking up words that I can't spell right or something. 
communication. How about affirmation? And you don't have to think about things that are really uh, all that complicated. I mean, what about a smile? Listening? <laughs> Who said that one? I'm going to go with you. Trust? That's for you. Those are all deposits. Space. Who? Space. Space, the final frontier. <laughs> it's not simply a transaction, right? Because because this type of of uh, this type of stuff is is trans is transformative when you give that to people. Now, now think about the withdrawal side. It's not simply a transaction because this type of withdrawal is, is more harming than a simple transaction. It's transformational. What are some things when someone does them to you, you, you feel like you're losing a little of your life? It causes your spirit to dip, become disheartened. You just lose something within yourself. And parents that have power, or someone that has power does this. They can do this to you. It's a withdrawal in the relationship. So let's write some of that down, okay? There was a second one that I missed. I wasn't listening, I'm sorry. Be little? So criticism, being critical. Impatience. Lies, arguments, manipulation. What about anger? What about 
passive aggressive. Unforgiveness. It's interesting that the Sermon on the Mount, um, how quickly Jesus gets to some things. But one of the fundamental things that Jesus addresses to, I think, a lot of that is anger. It's like a a fundamental thing there Um, when he's talking about life in the kingdom, because when when that is mismanaged, it's so lethal, isn't it? How it kind of leads to some stuff like, I mean, there's other things that we obviously haven't put up there, right? Like gossip or um, lack of compassion or whatever else. But let's stop there. We ran out of room. Um, But this is going on a lot. This is going on all the time in every relationship, in every interaction that you guys are, are taking a part of. And a lot of times we don't think about that stuff. We don't think about how we're trans, uh, being transformational in there. We just think about transaction, right? I do this, then you're going to give me this. If I manipulate you this way, you're going to give me what I want. If I say this to you, I'm going to guilt you or I'm going to shame you into doing what you want, I want from you. So a lot of times we don't think about this stuff and a lot of times all we think about is the content or, or whatever it is that we're expressing. We, we think transaction, but always in every encounter between two human beings, it's a spiritual encounter. It's, it's a transformational encounter. What does this mean for us in our relationships? This means that one of the things that I need to be aware of in relationships is is what counts as a deposit and what counts as a withdrawal to the other person, to the bank, what they think really matters. Right. What is their criterion on and on how they understand that you are depositing? Because if I think something counts as a deposit, but you don't, then our relationship is going to be vulnerable to damage. It's going to be vulnerable to harm. I may think I'm depositing into your account, but if you, the bank, do not acknowledge my currency, it does no good. The recipient of your deposit has to know what you're doing. And there's a person I know who loves his freedom. He loves his independence. His love language is adventure. It's opportunity. He loves to venture out on his own. His wife is totally different. She wants to do things together. And she felt like they didn't connect enough. And she enjoyed doing things with him. So on on those special occasions like Valentine's Days or birthdays or Christmas, whatever celebratory days there were, I'd noticed that he'd give like really, really cool gifts to her. Awesome gifts. But the gifts were always something that he'd enjoy more than she did. And I'd noticed that he'd be using what he bought for her more than she did. And do you think that that was a deposit? It's definitely a deposit for him if those gifts were given to him. But to her, it wasn't. He had no clue that he was not depositing. And if, if I watch some Jane Austen movie with my wife, do you think I've made a deposit in our relationship? I have. Right. If she watches a sporting event with me, she's making a deposit into my account. And there are times when there's a deposit and there's a withdrawal and and there are times when both parties are at withdrawal and there are times where both parties are depositing. And a major part of loving someone is coming to know them and to understand them, to know what they count as a deposit and what they count as a withdrawal. But we also have to know ourselves. You have to know what counts as a deposit to you and what counts as a withdrawal to you. 
See, we need to be self-aware in the relationship as well. In Psalm chapter 139, the psalmist is in total awe of God, God who controls the universe and, and all the countless details that are involved with the universe. Can you imagine the amount of detail just in your eye, let alone like the universe? God still knows him so intimately. Verse 1, For the chief musician, a psalm of David, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. God knows you. He knows what counts as a deposit for you, what counts as a withdrawal for you. You know my sitting down and my rising up. That's a Hebrew expression that is all-inclusive. It means my whole life. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. God knows you. God wants to make deposits into your life, into your heart, into your spirit, into your soul. Why? Because he loves you. God loves you and he knows that we can't give what we don't have. So love starts with God. You can't have a true love without a relationship with God. Love starts with God. You can't have a human relationship of true love without God because God is love. Much of what the Bible is about God convincing the human race of the kind of love that he wants to give us. How much God loves you and me. One of those pictures of that love is of a mother and her children. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it's written, The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I think if you have a child, if you've ever had a baby, you understand this. When a baby or a little kid gets upset, have you noticed that it's mom who's able to calm that baby, quiet that baby? And sometimes a mother will sing to calm the baby or child. There's a trust there and a bond there that brings comfort. Have you had anyone sing over you lately? Just rejoice over you, come over you and sing over you? Most of you would be freaked out about that. Right? Have someone just come up to you and be so happy. Oh, I love you. Like whatever. And burst into song. And I, But to tell you the truth, I do that with my wife and my kids all the time. I do. I break out in song. I just make up songs. Right. And, and we just sing together. And my daughter, you'll hear her just singing, like making up songs and, and singing like God loves me or Jesus loves me and just making all these different songs. And, and sometimes I do that to my mom, too, when I'm around her. And um, she was here earlier this morning and I, I tried my hardest not to embarrass her. But with my wife and my kids, I'm always singing songs and making up songs to just celebrate their life or celebrate our love for each other. And the Bible said that God loves you so much, he will rejoice over you with singing in the way that a mom does to a little child or that I do with my family. It's just a natural expression. We just do it. And the ultimate expression of this love was when we had this moral debt to God that we could never pay. And Jesus came down to earth and he went to the cross and he paid that debt that we could never pay. And so God asks us to repay that debt of love because in a way we kind of owe him for that. 
by loving the people that he loved so much that he died for. And I think one of the greatest obstacles to love in our day and culture is busyness. We're always busy. We're always in a hurry. Right. And in different ministries, in different serving capacities, when when people are asked, you know, that we want something for you guys, we want something for the community or we want to serve the community somehow. It's always busyness. That is the obstacle. I think that most people want to be loving. Who doesn't want to feed a hungry person? Who doesn't want to clothe the naked? Who doesn't want to take care of an orphan? We all do. Right. But it's just not a priority because of, of our busyness. And the busyness makes it convenient for us to pay attention towards other things that distract us from love. And I can spend so much time where, where I'm busy and it's just all about me. The psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Our days are numbered. We only live so long and that's it. Right? When our children are born, we... Or when, we're, when they were born, we documented everything on video. And we can go back to watch those videos as well as other significant things that we've recorded of their life. And we can press rewind to watch all those significant events in their life. But life has no rewind button. Once it passes, it passes. And we sometimes live like there's a rewind button to life, but there really isn't. Every moment we have with people is an opportunity to give love to someone. And when that moment is gone, it's gone. If you don't say things now and and they're and they die, that's it. You can't ever say that to them. You can't tell them you love them again. You can't tell them I'm sorry again. Our days are numbered. When you ask a little child how old they are, what do they usually tell you? A really young one, not the older ones, really young ones. They're like, I'm three and a half. I'm four and a half, right? They always add the half in there, right? But when they get older and like a teenager, they they give you whole numbers. I'm 14. I'm 15. And then as they enter um, early adulthood or past that a little bit, I'm not sure when the the time changes when they, they stop giving you their age or you stop asking. Like you don't go there anymore. right? I think it's in like late 20s, though, mid mid to late 20s. I think that's when it is, because that's when ministries start calling themselves 20 something groups or 30 something groups or 40 something. And then something else happens when you're like over 40 and they start calling ministries like hot shots or something like that. Um, (laughs) See what when I was younger, I thought I would never become an adult. I. Like four and a half, five and a half, ten and a half. Oh, when am I going to be an adult? When am I going to be making my own decisions? Right? I never thought I was going to be an adult. But now that I have kids, time can't go slow enough. I look at them and like, how did you get so big so fast? Or how did you learn how to say those things? Or how did you learn how to express yourself like that? Or, you know, it's just my kids are growing up too fast. And things are changing so fast. And I find that I, I want more time. I can't have it. My days are numbered. My time is set. But what I have an unlimited supply of is love. Love is limitless. I have a limited amount of time and I have a limited amount of money, probably a bit more limited money than time. And but I have no limit on love. None. And I think we have no idea the power 
that our words of love have in the life of another person, when those, those words are sincere, when those words are God-breathed, we're here because somebody loved us. And the purpose for why we are here is to love someone else. That's somebody that loves you. You might not think like, oh, no one loves me. Jesus loves you. You can't deny that. He died for you so that you can have a relationship with God. Right? So he loved you for the purpose of loving other people. The expression of love is is what transforms hearts. It's what transforms minds and spirits. And this is part of why we remember mom. Mom. There's a story that my wife and I read to our kids. It's called Love You Forever. If you're a parent or if you're born in the last 20 years, your parent probably read this. Are are any of you familiar with this? Only those of you with a heart? I'm not going to read it because I actually didn't get permission from the publisher. And um, I'm also not going to read it because every time I read it, I cry. I cry. And not that there's nothing wrong with crying. I just didn't bring any tissue. So, but I'll summarize it for you and hopefully I'll do it some justice. And the story is about a mother who sings her baby to sleep every night and she tells him, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. And she rocks him to the same song throughout his life. And she sings the same song to her baby when he turns into this two-year-old terror. When, when he turns into this messy nine-year-old, you know, this strange face. And when he's gone crazy as a teenager, right? And then even as an adult after he moves out of the house. This is where the story gets kind of freaky. <laughs> because um, to tell you, the, the, the mom would get in her car, load up a ladder, and drive across town to the house. And she'd put the ladder up and climb up to the guy's bedroom. Go into through the window and rock the grown man and sing, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby will be. It's kind of freaky. But at the same time, you get the message, right? You get the message. And it's not all that freaky. My mom does that with me sometimes. So um, <laughs> she's had several hernia repairs, but it's still. But, but then the day comes when the mom is too old, when, when the mom is too sick. To hold him and to rock him and even sing to him anymore because she attempts to, but she had to break the song halfway because she was too sick. And then the roles are reversed where the grown man is holding his mom and rocking her and singing to her. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my mommy, you'll be. And even as I, I was writing this sermon, I was like typing and my wife walked by. And she was like, why are you crying? I was like, the stupid book. Like, and I remember reading the story for the first time to my, my oldest daughter, Isabel, and I started crying when I was reading this thing. I had no idea. My wife just was like, yeah, read this one. She's evil. She, she messed me up. And my daughter was so concerned. She couldn't talk yet. Right? She was too young. But she was wondering, like, what's going on, Dad? Like, oh, what's, what's going on with my dad? I'm like, oh, my wife, I'm making me read this book. And the, well, the story ends up with this grown man putting his daughter to bed. Rocking her to sleep and singing, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. So I just had, I was like broken into tears because I thought about my mom rocking me and then me now rocking my daughter. It was like this thing. The only thing different was like it was a white guy in the story and not a Chinese guy. And so that book just cheers me up. And see, we live surrounded by the love of God. God is love. A love that we could never earn. And a love that we can never completely express. 
First John chapter four, verses seven through eight. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. Why does that silly story like move us so much? Because I think it gets us thinking about mom. It gets us thinking about generations that come after us, our, our children. See, our, our time together is determined, right? You only have a certain amount of hours, a certain amount of days. We don't live for, forever, and yet there's a mystery to, to birth. There's a mystery to life, to, to time and aging and love that has the power to move us even if we're hardened. We often forget what's truly important and we get busy. Our time is sucked into working and making money, but all those things have limitations. Love is not limited. God made us in such a way that we never outgrow the desire to be loved by someone else, no matter how old we get. No, no matter how big we get. I still love it when my mom calls me. I still love it when she comes to visit me. It doesn't matter how big or how old I get. I will always cherish that. And the idea that someone accepted us, someone embraced us, rocked us, supported us, believed in us, sang to us. When there was nothing we did to earn it. And who simply loved because we lived in this world. And that's a picture of mom. And, and actually, that's a picture of God. So even if you didn't have a good relationship with your mother, that's a relationship of God. A God who supports you, is cheering for you, embracing you, rocking you, supporting, singing to you, rejoicing over you, wanting to throw parties over you and celebrating your life. That's God for you. And God does it for all of us, no matter how hardened we are, no matter how old you are, no matter how big you are. That love God has for you is the same as when you are a newborn baby. That he adores you. Knowing that our days on earth are numbered, pray that God leads you into how you're going to make a deposit into someone's life on your list. That it's a little lower, that balance is a little lower. And honor that love and don't violate it. If you've never told someone you love them and, and you really do, tell them, especially your mother. If you haven't told your mother you love them, do it. And some of you are maybe like, oh, that doesn't happen in my family. My family doesn't do things that way. We're not affectionate. You know, and, uh, it's not in my culture. You don't have an excuse because I did it. I'm from that culture that's very stoic. That doesn't express affection. We are so close. And if there are others in your life that you, you know need to hear from you today, tell them today. Your days are limited. Your love is not. You can be gone tomorrow or that other person can be gone tomorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your gift of love. Thank you for mothers. And we know that um, they're not perfect. We know that they've made a lot of mistakes. And, um, but that's what love's all about, God, in, in terms of forgiveness. So I ask that for those of us who have any sort of resentment um, towards our mothers, that you would help us to reconcile a relationship with them, to have their best interests in mind, to start praying for them and for, and for you to change our hearts and minds and our spirits towards them. 
Thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, who made it possible to have a relationship with a loving God, a God who is love. And God, I ask that you would bind us closer as a church family. I ask that you would make the family bonds, the, the blood family bonds closer for, for everyone um, at the church. And I ask that you would just unite us in your love to focus on loving you and loving each other. I ask God that you would just break our hearts for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.